Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. Uh, it's a great joy for me to be able to be here today. I uh, want to welcome all of you in the room. If this is your first time here with us, we're so glad you're here. Hope you've enjoyed your experience so far. If you're a regular attender, welcome back. I want to especially welcome those of you watching online. We're so glad you're joining us today. I'm glad to have you part of our church family as well. Uh, we're just so uh, joyful to be able to gather together in the name of Jesus, um, to worship him, to hear uh, from his word. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, but before we get into the message, I, I just want to let you know a little bit of uh, some insider information today. Uh, if you're a regular attender here, I want to let you know that on Thursday, um, Pastor Chris's sister-in-law, Cheryl, who is uh, his brother Tom's wife, had a, a massive stroke, and um, yesterday she went home to be with the Lord. And so I uh, would ask you to please be praying for Pastor Chris and Nancy, um, in particular for uh, his brother Tom and, and their daughter Leanne. Would just ask you to pray God's comfort over them and, and power and presence. Um, but the joyful thing is, we know where Cheryl is. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus, and and that's what we're going to be um, talking about today. Uh, interestingly, when Pastor Chris and I and Pastor Mark picked this series, we had no idea uh, what would be happening on this day, um, in particular when we're going to be talking about hope. And so, um, just keep them in your prayers, if you would. We really appreciate that. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about peace. How many of you would like to have peace in your life? Raise your hand real high, okay? If you don't, you're lying, okay? Uh, maybe you just don't know it yet, but, uh, but everybody wants peace in our life, whether it's relational peace, whether it's vocational peace, uh, maybe it's financial peace, whatever kind of peace that you want, peace from pain, uh, whether physically or emotionally, peace in your purpose, whatever your peace is, you, everybody wants it. Uh, and, and when we don't have it, when there's undiscovered peace in our lives, uh, it leaves us deeply desiring it. It's kind of like, you know, you ever have an itch in the middle of your back that you can't reach? Anybody? I, I have that all the time because my arms are short, right? And so I try to reach back. I can never get it. Um, that's kind of what, what, what peace is like sometimes in our lives. Like, like we're going after it and we just cannot get to us. It eludes us oftentimes like sunlight breaking through dark and dreadful clouds, and we just cannot achieve it. And, and, it, and it asks us, really, uh, there's a question that kind of stirs up inside of our hearts, and the question is, why? And alongside that, how can we achieve peace? How can we achieve peace in this life? Well, there's one thing that's for sure in this life, and that is that we're all going to have storms. Isn't that true? We're all going to have storms in our lives. In fact, Jesus actually told us that. He told us to expect it. <laughs> and I, I, sometimes I wish that I could go back and watch situations where Jesus is interacting with his disciples because I think it would just be funny. Um, you know, in, in one of these cases, Jesus brings his disciples around him. He says, hey, guys, listen, come here, come here, come here. I want to tell you something about the world. Okay, this is really, really important. L listen, lean in, lean in, listen, listen. Put your eyes up here. Come on, come on, listen, listen. In this world, you are going to have... Can you imagine this, just this pregnant pause that Jesus says, trouble. <laughs> now, can you imagine the disciples are like, ah, you know, like, come on, what are you talking about? Why are we going to have trouble? We've seen you, we've seen you um, heal people. We've seen you uh, blind people see through you. We've, we've seen the dead come to life, and you're telling us we're going to have trouble? Why? That doesn't make any sense. So Jesus said, listen, in this world where you live, you are going to have trouble. That's what he told his disciples, and the same is true. For us today. In our lives, we are going to have trouble. We are going to have storms. 
And these storms that come into our life, they're not just like little baby tiny storms. These are massive storms that beat and batter us and oftentimes leave us splintered and broken. These storms are real and they are devastating and they are extremely painful. And they come in every area of our life. In fact, you know that if you are experiencing a storm in one area of your life, it overflows to all the other areas, doesn't it? It happens in all of our lives. When we are experiencing a storm in one area, it overflows into all the other areas. And it is so painful and it is so hard. And Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, in this world, listen, you're going to have trouble. So what do we do? What do we do to endure these storms? Well, the answer is this, simply, we need an anchor. We need an anchor for our lives. And that's really what this series is all about. It's about discovering the anchors that God has for us from his word. In fact, we've looked at three specific anchors um, this week. Uh, I'm sorry, this, this series. And it's an incredible um, thing for us to actually trust and put our hope in these anchors. But the one thing that we have to understand is that these three anchors that we're talking about are all tied to one ultimate anchor, and that anchor is Jesus. You see, unanchored living for us, when we live an unanchored life, we will drift into the current of culture, and the storms that will beat us and, 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 and come against us will prevail against us, and they will leave us broken. And what that looks like practically is that we'll feel depressed, we'll feel unsatisfied, we'll feel pain that God never intended for us to experience. So we must have an anchor to hold us, and Jesus is our anchor. That's what we've learned throughout this series, and that's what we're going to dig into even more today. Jesus is kind of like an aircraft uh, carrier anchor. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. I want to show you a picture real quick. Take a look at this anchor from the USS Gerald Ford. Look at that thing. That's huge. That anchor is 30,000 pounds. 30,000 pounds. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly heavy so that it can just reach down deep into the seabed and hold that aircraft carrier there. Now, if you notice the chains on that, um, see those links on the chains? Look at that. By the way, look how clean that chain is. That's what happens when the Navy takes care of your stuff, okay? So if you need anything clean, call the Navy, you can sail the seven seas. Okay, so anyway, so, so those links right there, they weigh 136 pounds each. It's incredible. That's what I weigh. Um, I don't know how they get it to look that good. Um, but anyway, they do. So, so, so the most incredible thing is on the older ones, uh, on the older aircraft carriers, they were about 350 pounds each. I mean, these things are, are insane. And if you ever watch a video, which you, you don't do it right now, okay, on your phone. Don't do it right now. Just keep paying attention. But after the service is over, you can watch them drop anchor. Uh, and it's a pretty incredible thing to watch, uh, to see them uh, release the anchor into the sea. But the amazing thing is that anchor is incredibly heavy, and it steadies the aircraft carrier, and that's what we need for our lives because our lives are just kind of running amok in the storms of life. And Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate anchor for our lives. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate anchor for our lives. If you have your connection inside, you'll find this. This is our um, note outline you can take. 
if you'd like to, and you can fill these in. And we want to let you know on those, you see the little ribbon up there that says outline? That lets you know that it's on here. And so you can fill that in as well. And I would encourage you to do that today as we look at this together. But Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate anchor for our lives. You see, Jesus gave himself for us. He lived a life we couldn't live, died a death we should have died, was raised back to life by the power of God after the third day. And now we can have new life in and through him by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus. We receive his life. It's incredible. And that's what we, we receive when we put our faith in Jesus. And we talked about that last week. And while Jesus is the ultimate carrier anchor for our lives, it keeps us steady in the most intense storms. He also provides us with three other anchors. We're going to call them spade anchors. Now, in boating, spade anchors are very common. In fact, we got a couple pictures of those as well. I want to throw those up for you to see. That's a spade anchor right there. And a spade anchor is, um, is an anchor that has the highest holding power in the most diverse conditions. So a lot of yachts and bigger uh, boats will use spade anchors because they just dig right into the seabed and they hold the boat there. And so while we're anchored to Jesus, sometimes we need more steadying with these spade anchors. And our spiritual spade anchors are these three things, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And when we live these lives that are anchored, something happens to us. That is, we become more attractive to those around us because most people are not living anchored lives. So the one thing that's true is when we live in faith, hope, and love, our lives become more attractive to those around us. So if you're single in here today, go after it, all right? Go after it with everything you have. Live in faith, hope, and love because our lives will become more attractive to those around us. You see, anchored living gives, gives us the greatest opportunity to tell others about our anchors. So let's talk about the first anchor, just in review for a minute. The anchor of faith. As we learned last week, the anchor of faith is the key to our salvation. Faith tethers, uh, tethers us to Jesus. That's what faith does. Jesus keeps us steady in the storms of life that threaten to overwhelm us. And only faith opens the door for us to know God. So the anchor of faith is crucial for our salvation because it fixes our lives to Jesus in turbulent times. So when we put our faith in Jesus that, that he has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish on our own in living a perfect life, which by the way, he met God's standard, which was perfection. And then he died a death on the cross in our place, which we should have died. He died for us. And then he was buried three days later. God raised him back to life. And he overcame sin and death forever. He did that. And when we put our faith that he did that for us, we receive him into our life. And we receive his supernatural presence. You see, the anchor of faith is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. Because without it, none of the rest of these anchors make any sense. And we'll never experience the peace that we will receive when we hold true to these anchors. Because only Jesus can provide the steadiness that we need. So only when we cling to the anchor of faith can we then cling to the next anchor, and that is what we're going to focus on today, the anchor of hope. So faith is key to our salvation, which, by the way, salvation is kind of a churchy word. All that really means is freedom in Jesus, freedom from sin in the world. We, we receive that freedom when we put our faith in Jesus. That's, that's what salvation is. So faith is the key to salvation. Hope is the assurance 
of our salvation. Now, I want to be very clear about something. It can be easy for us to not understand what the word hope means because in our culture, um, particularly in America, we've diluted words like hope and love, like, mm, man, I love that pizza, right? Or, mm, I love that country artist, which I don't understand why you would ever do that. But anyway, you know, we, we've diluted those, those kinds of, of words. And, and oftentimes um, when we say, man, you know, like, I, I hope I can get that job that I want or um, maybe if you have children, like your children say, man, I hope daddy plays with me when he gets home or mommy plays with me when she gets home. You know, we, we've taken the word hope and, and really what we, we should use is the word wish. I really wish that I could get that job. I really wish that I could get that car. You know, and we don't really have that, um, that deep connection to what the word hope really means when it comes to um, the scriptures. Because in the scriptures, this, this hope is completely different. What the, the word hope is anchored in in the scripture is a work that was completed by Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection that will continue on until eternity when he comes back. Listen, guys, the job is already done. There is hope to be had because Jesus has already done it. And he's going to do it again when he comes back. He's going to fulfill the promise that God gave to us that we will be with him forever when we put our faith in him. So here's the take-home point for today. Here's the one thing I want you to walk out of here with today, and that's this. Hope is the assurance of our salvation. Hope is the assurance of our salvation. Hope is unique because hope and peace are directly connected. I want to show you a scripture from Hebrews chapter 6 that shows us this connection very, very clearly. Here's what it said. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So when we engage God in faith, we engage his promise and the oath that he made through Jesus. By faith, we engage God and we have received the, the promise of freedom through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And after we engage God by faith, we can then place our hope in him. Now, the anchor or, or the word that, that um, the writer or the author of Hebrews uses here, there are two key words that I want to focus on. And, and the words are hope and soul. <laughs> you might have been thinking I was going to say the word anchor, since this is anchors in the storm series, but it's not. The, it it kind of ties into the anchor, but the word hope and soul are directly connected, and he chose the word very specifically. In fact, in every English translation of the scriptures that we have, these two words are used, which is actually somewhat unique, because a lot of translations use some different words for, for better clarity. Um, but in every translation that you look at, you will find these two words, hope and soul. So, you, uh, so if we look at the word hope, we know what hope is. Hope is this assurance of this, of this work that Jesus accomplished and that he's going to come back uh, again at the end of the age and we will be with him forever. That's what, what the hope is. But what does the word soul mean? Well, in the Greek, the, the word is psyche, and we get our word psychology from it because psyche means inner self. It's the place where there's, there's uh, the, the seat of our emotions, our will, our thinking, our thought life, all of those things come from our psyche, from our soul. So it's not an accident that the anchor uses the word hope and soul together because in our soul is where we will have turmoil. It is where the storms of our lives happen. Now, while we might have physical pain that causes us uh, to discomfort, 
it always causes us discomfort in our soul. Relational pain comes directly into our soul. Financial pain comes directly into our soul. So we need an anchor for our soul. And what the author of Hebrews says is that that anchor is hope. We have to have hope for our soul. There's something special about hope. And that is that hope stirs our emotions, our thoughts, and causes us to act differently. That's what hope does for our soul. Hope causes us to be different because we have something uh, in which we can look forward. Uh, and so we want to do that. But naturally, our soul is prone to drift in any direction. You see, a hopeless soul seeks desperately to find fulfillment in whatever way possible. A hopeless soul will try to find fulfillment in sex. A hopeless soul will try to find fulfillment in power. A hopeless soul will try to find fulfillment in money. A hopeless soul will find, try to find fulfillment in whatever it is that a hopeless soul wants to try to find fulfillment in. And it will never find it because it can only be found in Jesus. So only a soul anchored in hope can truly come alive and find peace emotionally, rationally, and behaviorally. Now don't miss that. Only a soul, the inner self, our inner being, can find peace emotionally, rationally, and behaviorally through hope. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying to us. And it happens when we put our faith in Jesus. Because what happens when we put our faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul said, is that the same spirit that raised Jesus back to life. Now listen, guys. Jesus was dead. Okay? Jesus was dead. For three days and God raised him back to life on the third day that's that's just incredible God did that and that same spirit the Apostle Paul said that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us when we put our faith in Jesus so that same spirit that lives inside of us can overcome any of the storms that we face in our life only a soul anchored in hope can truly come alive and find peace emotionally rationally and behaviorally. So how does that all connect to hope? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us understand this a little bit more. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He said, therefore, since we have been made right in, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So don't miss this today. If you put your hand up because you wanted peace, the Apostle Paul tells us right here how to have it. It's by putting our faith in God because what happens is when we put our faith in God, we receive Jesus' life. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells the Colossian church, listen, when you believe in Jesus, it's like you put on this garment so that when God sees you, he doesn't see you and your sinful nature. He sees Jesus and he welcomes you. The Apostle John said, John chapter 1 verse 12, into his family. He adopts you into his family. And so when we are adopted into God's family, we are made right with God. And then the, Paul says, by what? By faith. You see, faith is the key to our salvation. It's the key to our freedom. It's the key to our adoption into God's family. And then when we are in a part of God's family, what do we have? We have what we all want, right? Everybody say it with me. It's peace, right? Let's say it again. It's, yeah, we receive peace when we put our faith in God. Now, when we receive peace, there are four definitions of peace that I want you to understand. Okay? So we're going to take a look at these together. The first one is tranquility. The second one is serenity. The third one is law and order. And the fourth one is treaty. 
And we're going to look at these in reverse, reverse order because it makes the most sense. So let's start with, with the word treaty. Okay, if you type in peace into a dictionary and you look for the antonym, do you know what the opposite of peace is? War. Very good. Somebody should write a book about that, War and Peace. Um, be a good book, I think. That's a literature joke. I would never make that joke except I had to read that book. So, <laughs> so anyway, the opposite of peace is war. And do you know the Apostle Paul told the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 1, and he actually tells the Romans as well, uh, the Roman church in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, which we're not going to get to today. He said, in our natural state, okay, in our natural state, we are enemies of God. Do you know what that means? In our natural state, we are at war with God. In our natural state, we are at war with God. Why? Because we are enemies of God. So what did God do? God sent his son, lived a life we couldn't live, died a death we should have died, raised Jesus back to life again on the third day, offers us a brand new life, and we receive that by faith. That's what Paul said, right, in verse 1, that we are made right in God's sight by faith. So we receive that treaty that is signed in Jesus' blood. It's pretty incredible. Because here we are, enemies of God. And God himself, we don't do anything in this. God himself takes care of the whole treaty. He fulfills it, he signs it, and he gives it to us. And he says, hey, listen, if you will believe in me, this is yours. And do you know what the scripture says? Jesus actually said this. He said that we move from enemies to friends, which, by the way, is the best case scenario for any treaty. And I have never seen it done in human history where people, where two enemies sign a treaty and become best friends. It just, it hasn't happened, but it does happen between us and God. So God has given us a treaty that he has signed with his own blood. Then the next definition is law and order. There can be no peace in our lives if there is no order. One thing about storms, especially severe storms, is they leave damage and chaos in their wake. You see, that's what happens in our, inside of us too, inside of our souls. Whenever we go up against a storm that's severe, we're all damaged goods. And as Pastor Chris told us last week, we're all broken beyond repair and we can only admit that when, when we receive God's grace through faith and we're made whole. We need order in our life. We've endured storms that have brought down wires and trees inside of our hearts. They've wrecked our homes. They've flooded the basements and resulted in chaotic behavior and instability. We've all experienced that. But when we have faith in God, he gives us supernatural power to overcome and he brings the order to the chaos. That's what God does. He brings order to chaos. And do you know, when that happens in our lives, that's really what attracts people to us. You know, my, my parents had eight kids. I was the oldest. I was the only biological children. They adopted seven other ones. And, and, and I understand this now. But looking back, I would look around at other families and I would go, man, it seems like they have just incredible peace in their family. And our family just seemed a little chaotic. I understand now that that's just because you had 10 people living in one house. Um, and, and, and these parents only had one child. And, and I, just, <laughs> I just remember thinking, man, it's just so peaceful there. And our house just seemed chaotic. But it was so attractive because there was order there. And that's what God does through his supernatural power in our lives, in our souls. 
So the next definition of peace is serenity. Now, serenity is the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. This is most often what we think about when we think about the word peace. So when I said to you this morning, raise your hand if you want peace in your life, most of you shot your hands up because this is what you want. You want to be calm. You want to be peaceful. You want to be untroubled. But the problem is most of us never experience this. And the question remains, why? And I want to be really honest with you this morning, and I don't want to be offensive in any way. But whether you're a believer or not, oftentimes I think that what we think is God doesn't care enough to intersect with our lives and give us peace. And so we try to do whatever we can to achieve peace. We take a class, we read a book, we implement new habits, whatever it is, and we do whatever we possibly can to achieve peace, and it just doesn't seem to happen. And we struggle, and it comes from this false belief that God doesn't want to intersect with us. And I want you to know today, guys, he does. He wants to. He wants to intersect with our lives so much that he sent his own son to die so that he could do that. That's how much God wants to be a part of our life. That's how much he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to experience peace in our lives, but it can only come as we trust him. You see, when we trust God in the storms of life, we remain firm and stable, even when the wind is ripping the roof right off of our hearts. And and I don't want you to miss this today. We do have a role when it comes to the storms in our life. And our, our, our role is simply this, to believe God. We need to trust him. We need to let him be God. In fact, in Exodus 14, 14, uh, God tells Moses, listen, I'm going to fight for you. Here's what you need to do. Be quiet. It says, the Lord will fight for us. We have only to be silent. And then in the Psalms, um, David writes that we need to be still and know that he is God. What does that mean? That means that if we're pursuing peace in whatever way in our lives, we need to just stop it. And we need to believe God. And we need to allow him to work in our lives because he wants to, guys. He wants us to experience calmness, untroubledness as we go into this world where we will have trouble, but we can stand firm on him. So how do we do that, though? I mean, how, how, it's, just, it's very difficult. Well, I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus had a, a crazy storm in his life. In fact, it, it was such a crazy storm that he ended up dying physically. Jesus endured the cross. That was the greatest storm of Jesus' life. How did he do it? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us how he did it in Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what he said. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So how do we weather the storms in our lives? We look to Jesus who is set before us as our guide, our leader, The scripture says he's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What that means is he's gone before us. And so we just need to look to him and follow him. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when we go through storms uh, that we won't be emotional, that we won't struggle through difficult times. We will. That's the human part of us, and that's okay. 
It's totally fine. God made us as emotional beings. The disciples mourned Jesus' death. They really did. It's natural. I mean, you know, think about this. The disciples, they were sad. They ran away. I love Pastor Andy Stanley. He helps me understand things uh, sometimes a little better. The disciples, I think we kind of get this superhuman uh, picture in our mind of what they were really like. But when Jesus was dead on the third day, none of them were sitting outside this tomb going, all right, guys, here we go. Ten, nine, eight, the sun's coming up. Here it is. Six, five, get ready. We're going to see the stone roll away. Four, three, nobody was there. It says that the women went to the grave. Why? Because they were going to prepare Jesus' body to rot. They had no expectation of the resurrection. So imagine their surprise when they went and the the stone was rolled away and Jesus wasn't in there. So the disciples weren't expecting the resurrection, but we, on the other side of the resurrection, need to remember the resurrection. Because therein lies the power for our lives. Therein lies serenity for us. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus out of that grave is bringing death to life inside of us. So then the final definition of peace is tranquility. While serenity is the state of being calm, tranquility is actually the physical expression of it. So tranquility flows from serenity as we yield our lives to God's power and his presence. It's the external and physical expression of the internal presence of God. That's what tranquility is is. And I want you to know today, we can experience that despite the crazy amount of storms that we might be facing in our lives. So we experience every aspect of peace, tranquility, serenity, law and order, and treaty when we put our faith in God. Paul says we are made right in God's sight by our faith in him because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. So where does hope come into this? Well, Paul begins to teach us that here in verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Now, if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you're able to underline or, or select something, I would, I would encourage you to underline, we confidently and joyfully look forward. You see, when our lives are anchored in faith, then and only then can we anchor our lives in hope. And Paul notes, because of faith, we can look forward with joy and confidence to sharing in God's glory. In other words, we look forward in hope. You see, there's something very special about hope because hope itself looks forward. Hope looks forward to the future, forgets the past, and keeps the current situation where it needs to be or where it belongs. You see, I call it the horizon of promise. Jesus was able to endure the cross because he looked forward to the joy set before him. He could see the storm underneath the horizon, but he didn't focus on that storm. He focused on the joy set before him. It's the only way he pushed through to the end. And it's the same thing for us. The only way we can push through to the end is if we keep our eyes above the horizon to the promise and we follow our God, Jesus. And yeah, the storms around us, they're going to beat and batter us, but we're going to cling tightly to him because he is our hope. He is our peace. And we keep our eyes on him and it keeps our situation where it belongs because we have victory in him. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We can endure the storms by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who's leading us through these storms. You see, hope both motivates and prepares us during our most challenging storm. Paul actually uh, emphasized this in the next verse. Look what he says in verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Think about that. In the craziest storm of your life, you can rejoice. That doesn't make any worldly sense, y'all. It just doesn't make any sense. But in God's kingdom, it makes perfect sense. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. You see, when our current situation remains below the horizon of promise, we can endure the storms of life with, with confidence. And the amazing thing is we can even grow through the storms. Look what Paul says. When we go through these, we, can, we build up endurance, and endurance shapes our character, and our character strengthens the muscle of hope in our lives. And when that hope is fully realized, we can endure anything. It's like a cycle. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And here's the reality. Hope does not disappoint. Hope delivers. Hope delivers. Hope in God delivers. So no matter what we're experiencing in our life right now, we can experience peace when we put our hope in God. So why did God do all of this for us? Paul said it was undeserved privilege. Why did he do it? One word, love. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of love we use. I'm talking about the love of God, the passionate, zeal, love of God for you and for me. Look what Paul says. For we know how dearly God loved us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. You see, God, motivated by love, accomplished the greatest rescue mission ever attempted in human history. And he did it for you and me so that we could have hope as an anchor for our soul. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're experiencing, what storms you're going through. But one thing that I do know is this. When we get through one storm, we can hear the low rumble of the next one coming. That's because Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, guys, in this life, you're going to have trouble. Then he added these words, but I have overcome the world. So if we want to find peace, we must first put our faith and our trust in Jesus, and then we can cling to the hope that we have that brings peace to our soul in Jesus' name. You cannot have peace without hope. You cannot have hope without faith. It all ties together. And all of these are anchors for our souls. So how do we achieve peace? I want to let you in on a secret. You don't. You receive it. And it comes by trusting Jesus. So if you would, please close your eyes and bow your heads.
In this moment, I'm going to ask anybody who's in here today, if you would like to trust Jesus for the first time, if you would like to have this peace in your life, if you would like to find this hope, that in this moment with God today, right now, between you and your heavenly Father, listen, he's a good, good Father. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of his family. In this moment, between him and you, all you need to say is, you know what, God, I messed up. I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came here and lived a life that I couldn't live, died a death I should have died, and was raised back to life three days later. I believe that, and I commit my life to you right now. That's all you need to say to him right now. And I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to pray for everybody else too who has made that commitment. So Lord Jesus, right now I do pray for that person who in this moment right here, God met with you and said, you know what, I need this hope. I need an anchor for my soul because I just feel adrift in this world. Father, for that person right here, right now, I pray that you would meet them, that you would become their father. Maybe perhaps a father they never had. And that you would pour your love into their lives right now in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for your life. And God, for those of us in here today who have made that commitment today, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would bring about hope inside of us, that we would know that the work is done and that we can look forward with great anticipation to what you're going to do both now and forever. God, we just want to experience your anchor of hope that we might experience peace in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to challenge you to live out this commitment this week, and here's what it says. I will anchor my life in the hope Jesus provides. My prayer is that we will do that together this week as we go into a world of storms.